Shabbat Shalom. Storytelling, Here we have a real Shas principle. As we're seeing each day over the over the past few sessions, most of the Masechta. In addition to uh, the Matmon that we are able to extract from each from each piece, we also are exposed uh, to some principles that are important throughout Shas uh, and. Today is one of the uh, one of those occasions, and also to be uh, participate again as we have previously in a multi-century, multi-geographical conversation that that takes place. Starting as we often do with a posuk, lo yakum you will not accept the evidence of one witness. Al a matter will be established in a court of law by two witnesses or three witnesses, by the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses. That word, by the mouth, Rashi says, means, you, they, they cannot write their evidence down and send it into, into the court. They've got to be present in the court and they've got to give their evidence verbally. They've got to give oral evidence, not written evidence. Uh, and we and we're going to talk about that the difference be, between but but just to understand as we move into it written evidence is data at the end of the day if you if you get you're getting facts the data might be very clear but it's data and that's not what dayanim need dayanim need to feel what actually happened it's not just about knowing the facts um, and and it's the same when a rov paskins a shaila when you, you you need you need to feel what the what's what's going on what, so much of it is about so much of reality is in the feeling in the energy between the data and we live in a very data driven environment where we miss all of that and we try to make decisions based on on data and there are many decisions of course that can be made on data at least. Data can be an input into those decisions. But really to make a decision, so much of a decision is, is intuitive. And often when I've asked successful investors and successful um, entrepreneurs, but particularly investors, the, um, the, the VC companies and others, how much of their investment is intuitive and how much of it is, is data-driven? Uh, and the general answer is about 80% intuitive. Yes, that 20% of data is very important, obviously. But the real decision is, is not data-driven, it's intuitive. And the same with a beitin and with a psachalacha. Uh, that's why the, the way we've, we've allowed the Western data-driven culture to start impacting the way we, the way we learn, teach, and paskin halacha. That's not how it's meant to be. Bipiem velomi biksovom. Don't send me the data. Tell me the story, because then I can get a sense of what's really happening. And when Rav is asked the shayda, the questions he asks to extract the story and watching the body language is all part of it. But we'll come to that. What's important here is the Gemara in Yevamas, our Gemara, brings in the principle that Rachmona Amar, the Torah said, and here you see the brilliance of Rashi. The Rashi on Chumash it doesn't give his own pshatim and droshes on the... He just tells you how the Gemara understands the posuk. Because to understand the posuk the way the Gemara does means understanding the posuk the way Hashem meant it to be understood. 
And Rashi just gives you as much as you need to know. It's not about writing your evidence on a, on a letter and sending it to Bezdin. It's being present and telling the story. And one of the sources of that is Al-Gemorah. Which comes in the very last line before the Mishnah on Daflamad Aleph Amad Bez. On the other hand, we have a Gemara in Ksubis on Daf Yud Chesamud Beis, where the Gemara is going into a whole question of the power of a shtar, and the Gemara says, and Reish Lakish brings, Once witnesses are signed on a document, it's as if their, their evidence has been cross-examined, which means, Once they've given evidence, they can't change your evidence. That's the power of evidence. You can't say, ah, I made a mistake, I've changed my mind. You're cross-examined, you're questioned, you're given every opportunity to refine your evidence as you give it. But once the based in have finished with you and they've accepted your evidence, you can no longer retract. And a star says Resh Lakish, has the same power. A document signed by the witnesses has the same power. Once it's signed by the, the, the witnesses, it's as if it's been delivered in Bezdin and cross-examined. And, and therefore, there can be no more there can be no more question about that. Now, here we have a very fascinating riff. So remember, the riff, 11th century in North Africa, is, lives in Tunisia, in the Tunisia area in Karyan until he's 75. And his, that bridge between the period of the Geonim and the period of the Rishonim, some consider him the end of the Geonim. He learned from Rabbeinu Hananel and from Rabbeinu Nisim Gaon. So the Rif is our bridge to the time of the, of the Geonim, and he introduces the period of the Rishonim. So incredibly important, the Rif. Um, and then at age 75, he goes to, to, uh, to Spain and starts a whole new career and establishes a powerful yeshiva in Spain. He lives a long life into his 90s, and, uh, and there he establishes one of his Talmidim, the Rimigash. And why is the Rimigash important? Because he's the Rebbe of the father of the Rambam and influences the Rambam. So the Rif, the Rimigash, the Rambam, that whole school comes from the Rif. And, and the Rif, like the, like the Rambam, where the Rambam's brilliance we talked about, one of it is, is the way he creates a new system, that, that a major, major innovation. The Rif doesn't create a new system, he follows the Gemara. Uh, but what's similar is you don't know how they get to their conclusions. The riff just summarizes the Gemara. He just deletes anything which isn't halakhically relevant. So the, the riff also forms as a bit of a summary of the, of the Gemara. And you've got to kind of figure out by what he leaves out, you've got to figure out how he's learning and how he thinks. But he doesn't, doesn't share much of that. And nor does the Rambam. The Rambam just states it. That's why you can fit the whole Rambam into one volume. Uh, and that's the whole of Shas. And the Rambam says, all you have to know is there's one volume and you know everything. And it's true. Uh, it's literally one volume. We've got lots of volumes of the Rambam. That's because of all the Perushim. But if you, I've, I work with a volume of the Rambam without Perushim, it's one volume. The whole thing is just one volume. It's not a, not a lot of material. But he doesn't tell you how he gets to anything. He just tells you what it is. That was the, the, the approach of, of what was then the Sfaradim, the, the, the North Africans and later in Sfarad. At the same time, in Europe, we've got the school of the Balei Tosfut, which we've spoken about, a lot about, that are the opposite. They often don't give you the bottom line. They just tell you how, the, how to reason, how to figure it out, how to analyze, how to question. So you've got these two major influences on the evolution of Torah, the, the influence of Europe, the influence of, uh, of, of North Africa. And as I mentioned last night in that year, that the, um, those two come together in Spain, which is why that period of Spain is so very, very important. So the riff here is an exception. Here the riff writes like a Baltosphus. 
the Reef actually starts analyzing. And, and he says, Hamilta Makshuba Rabbanin, the Rabbanin, the rabbis, the Rabbanin have found this piece of Gomorrah very difficult. How can the Torah say here that it has to be mipim? That they mis- how can the Torah say it has to be by their mouths and not by their written word? And and yet we know that there's a there's, there's a, such a thing as a shtar and it's nazi We know they're written documents that are very powerful. A get, what about a get? That's a written document. A ksuba is a written document. We know that there's a power in written documents. And so he gives one answer. And and his answer is, um, it's it's talking about a specific star that doesn't work, but if they've uh, there's a star that is written, it's a proper star, then it does work. The Rif give, gives his answer. Then we come to the Baal Hamor. The Baal Hamor is thirteenth um, century, and the Baal Hamor we've we've had him before, uh, born in Spain, lived and raised in in Provence. And writes this attack on the on the roof. In his introduction, he writes though how amazing the roof is and how careful you've got to be with every word of the roof. And you can't touch the roof or question the roof. So he he do, he does that, but at the same time, he writes this, and there are different views as to what his intention was and why he wrote it. Uh, I, I believe in a sense what he wanted to do was merge the the Baletusfis, the European thinking, with the North African method. So the rift is just written in, in short, in shortened term. But the Balamor applies Tosfos reasoning to analyze the rift, to disagree with him where necessary, to question him, to do the kind of things that the rift doesn't do himself. So um, here, here the Balamor writes, "Katav harif The rift writes, "Hamil to makshubu rabbonon." The rabbonon find this very difficult, etc. And he then says. Uh, and the Rif gives an answer. If you want to know the Rif's answer, have a look at the Rif. Uh, but I think differently. And he gives an amazing answer as to, as to different kinds of shtarot. He says, The Gemara says, Rabbi, when, when we say that that which Rashi quotes on the Posuk, and which the Gemara brings here in, in our Gemara, by their mouth and not their writing. If the Edim give their evidence in writing, that doesn't work. But if that's given in the singular form, if he writes it, meaning the debtor or the creditor or the, the person who's actually not the witnesses, he writes, I owe you X amount of money on such and such a thing. This is what I did. And he writes it himself and witnesses sign that. Then In all commercial documents, the borrower or the, or the lender or the seller tells the witnesses to, to, to write the document. It's, it's initiated by the Baldover. It's initiated by the person who's creating the indebtedness. And, and he instructs, that's different. So if the person who's party to the transaction initiates the writing of the document and asks witnesses to sign on it, that docu- document is mipik tavo. His written document. It doesn't say anywhere mipik tavo. It says mipik tavam. It's a law in edut. This is not about edut. I'm writing the document down so that there's evidence so that it's documented and 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 that's that's why I'm doing it. So that's the differentiation that he brings. Our Tosfos and Yevomus also asks the same question. So you see, they're all worried. So now we're going back to Europe. Uh, 
So the, the Rif asks the question in, in his learning. And in Europe, in the school of the Baletosphus, Re asks the question. Re remembers the second powerful Baletosphus, uh, or the third, however you want to count them. It's Rabbeinu Tam, his great Talmud, Re, his nephew. Uh, Rabbeinu Tam, Rashi's grandson. Re is the Rabbeinu Tam's nephew. And we learned about uh, the, the Tosfus Shans the, the other day, Rabbeinu Shimshin, uh, as one of the, as the third great light of Tosfus. So Re says, he asks the question, and he answers, it depends. He also gives an answer that it would be fine if the, if the witnesses say, I saw a document in which the following was written. What we're worried about is they're going to testify about an event based not on the memory of the event, but on the document they saw. That's like two steps away from the event. That's what mipim velo mipiktava means. They've got to say we were there and we remember. They can't, and if they say we saw a document, that's also fine. But if they give evidence on the event, but their reference point is the document, that would be a problem. I wish we had two weeks to go into this into the sugya because it would take at least that, and I hope some of you will go into it further. This is just a springboard. And then he gives a second uh, answer and he says, it depends what the document was written. If the document was just written as personal notes, he wrote in his journal, then it's not commission and then it's not a document that has legal force. It's just his notes and that and that can't be brought to bait in. You can't bring the notes to bait in. That's not, but if it's a proper document that's written out correctly with, and signed by witnesses, that, that's good. And Marie, this is important in halacha, as you'll see. Ri says that he heard from Rabbeinu Tam, his uncle and his Rebbe. Nowadays, we allow witnesses to send their, their evidence into Beisdin in writing. And since they remember the evidence, so the aid says, I can't get to Yerushalayim to the Beitin. Um, however, here is my witness, my evidence in writing, and I recall it all. I'm not, this is, I'm, this is, I'm giving it to you in writing, but I'm recalling everything that I'm telling you. Then says Rabbeinu Tam, that, that is okay. And the Shilte Giborim, here we have an, a, another one. The Shilte Giborim is amazing. The Shilte Giborim is Italian, he's in Italy, but he left from the Gerush Sfarad. So at the time of the Spanish expulsion, he went to Italy. So we're talking about 16th century. He wrote on the side of the Gomorrah, I suppose very soon people won't even know this because they use, they use hyperlinks on the, on, the, on the internet. But if you look at the Gomorrah, 500 years before there were hyperlinks or more, you'll find the hyperlinks. The Ein Mishpat hyperlinks to all the Rambam. All the, all the Shulchan Aruch and the Tur. Besoris Hashas, anywhere in the Gemara that there's a cross-reference, it's all in the margin. The Shilta Giborim wrote all that. No computers. That was his mastery of Shas, that he could hyperlink every piece of Gemara to, the, it's, to other pieces of Gemara elsewhere and to Tur and Shulchan Aruch. And he wrote the Shilta Giborim, which is an important parish on the Rif. Another, another person writes a parish on the Rif, and he says, and we use this in Halakha, in Chosh and Mishpat, in Simon Kafchet, in the Laws of Evidence, is based on this comment of the Shilte Giborim here, that it doesn't matter how long ago it happened. If you remember it, even if you use your notebook to remind you that what you're remembering is the event, not the notebook, that's quite hard because sometimes we get confused about whether we went the event or we remember talking about the event or looking at a photograph of the event, but the 
if you're sure that you recall the events, but, but you're using the notebook, that's fine. Even if the event took place 50 years ago, there's no time limit on Edut. If you, if you recall it, you can give Edut on it. So what do you think is likely to be better data? A note that was written at the time or a, a, an old man giving evidence on something he remembers from 60 years ago? What's going to be more accurate? I would think the note. But we don't use the note, we use the old man. Why? Because we want the story. We want the story. You'll get the feel of what really happened from the story. Don't cut out the story. And we're living in a life, we're in such a hurry and we're so quick, we cut out the stories. And that's why even in these shirim, I try and bring the story in of all the, this conversation. This, this is a story. This is not just a piece of Gemara and a psak in the Shulchan Aruch. This is a story that's taking place over hundreds and hundreds of years as this is developing and it's evolving. Um, so Tosfus asks, in Bova Basra, Daf Mem, Tosfus asks, well, what about Rashi? Rashi in the Chumash says um, that, you, that you can't send in your evidence. This is Rabbi Natan's grandfather, for goodness sake. What, do you, what did the Zayda say? You've come with this new innovation. You can send, you can send evidence into the, into the Beisdin. It's against Gomorrahs, and it's, uh, but it's against your grandfather. You're supposed to be developing your grandfather's learning, not going off on a tangent. How does that work? Answers Tosfus, V'yeshloma de Takanat Chachamim. You're right. This was introduced later on. The Posuk says no written evidence at all. The Chachomim allowed documentation as evidence later on so as to allow commercial practice. They were afraid that people's, that commerce would stop. People wouldn't lend money, people wouldn't buy, they wouldn't sell because there's just no evidence. The witnesses started traveling, uh, people weren't available, people die, and now how do I get my money back? So the Chachomim introduced, and Tosfus explains how they could do that and why. Rush is telling you what the Posuk means. The Posuk means, tell me the story, don't give me the data. The Chachamim came along and said, but there are times when you can't be there to tell the story. We still need, we still need to make a decision. So then write the story, not just data, write the story. And as long as you're writing from memory, as I'm writing, I'm remembering, I'm not writing from, from, from facts, from data, I'm writing from my heart. That's what's important. The, um, the Lubavitcher Rebbe was offered a, a letter opener. To, because he, he opened so many letters in those days and uh, he spent so much time opening letters, they offered him a, an electric letter opener. Um, and, and he refused because he said as he opens the envelope, he feels the energy of the tears with which that letter was written. He needs that time to tune into the energy. So it's, and the energy is expressed through the story. He's, he's talking on a higher level of even being able to just feel, to touch. In the days where you actually wrote a letter with a pen and the person who sent you the letter handled the paper and handled the pen and wrote each letter. Now you get an email, it's just data and things. And there's nothing. There's nothing of the human being in it. There's nothing of the story in it. There's nothing of the effort and the energy in it. And, and this is an appeal, understanding this, this piece of Gomorrah. 
Um, and the Shukhanuch Paskins that way, that yes, nowadays, and it says, You do it now so that we shouldn't lock the door before lenders, that we should allow the flow of commerce. That's the reason that we do it. But essentially, it should all be oral. It shouldn't be in writing. And even now when it's in writing, it's not just a recording of the data. It's got to be a, a sharing of the experience. That's what a story is. It's shared experience. And it's so beautiful when you meet somebody and you talk to somebody and you ask them to tell you their story. Or they tell you a piece of information and you search for the story behind that. How did that come to be? What was that? How did that happen? How did that... It's in the story that the richness of life is. What is your own story? Don't forget your own stories. And each day we're making stories and we're creating stories. We're in such a rush that we don't feel the stories. When a Dayan or a Rov has to make a halachic decision, it's not just on the basis of data. He needs to understand the story of the halacha, how the halacha developed and evolved, and he needs to understand the story of the person asking the question or of the parties that have come for judgment. And by understanding their stories and putting it all together, he can, a, a decision can, can emerge, which will be one that is based on the fullness of truth and not on superficial data alone.